This morning, I want to speak on, we are sons of God. You know, if I had gifted my mother a nice laptop, and if I told her this laptop can do all these functions, and if I had visited her after a year, I can assure you she won't have used that laptop she would have kept it safe and that would have been her concern. Now, when it comes to my case, uh, you know, if an IT professional were to come and ask me, how do you use your laptop? Uh, if I say for these, these things I'm using, probably make a comment, you're using it as a typewriter. Uh, there are more functions that could be done with the laptop uh, then what you're making use of. That's the way he'll be telling me. It's like somebody has a car and he drives only in the first gear. He doesn't know there's a reverse gear, second, third, fourth. He just drives like that. Is it possible that in the Christian life also, we could be at different stages or are we using all that God has given to us. And Paul's main concern in chapter 8 is, you know, you are a child of God. Because you're a child of God, you have all these privileges. It is no use just knowing what all privileges I have. You know, uh, my... If I, I have told my mother, this laptop can do all these things, uh, it's no use just knowing, you know, this laptop can do all these functions. It's of no use if you don't put into use those functions. Is it possible in Christian life also, we know these are the privileges. Are we putting into use, are we making use of these privileges? That is Paul's main concern in Romans chapter 8. Uh, that's why he said in Romans 8, the last time when we saw verses 14 and 15, if you remember, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. You know, he's saying we have been adopted to sonship. Because God has adopted each one of us to sonship, we have security. You know, an employee or a servant basically obeys out of fear of punishment or loss of job. But a child-parent relationship is not characterized by the fear of losing the relationship. You know, the child will not come home thinking that today will my mother open the door or not. That's not the kind of fear their child has. And that's the kind of security we have because we have been adopted as sons of God. Not only we have security, Paul said, we also have authority. Because we are children of God, we have authority over sin and the devil. None of us can say that, oh, I don't know. I cannot, you know, uh, 
take control over my sinful life. No, we have authority over sin and the devil. You know, we have to live in this world in a way, knowing fully well this world belongs to our God. This earth belongs to God. We may hear so many different voices around us, but we should be confident this earth belongs to God and he is seated on the throne. So not only security, authority, we have intimacy. That's the reason by him we cry, Abba, Father. You know, Paul is emphasizing we must not only believe this doctrine, you know, we cry out as Abba, Father. He says we must be mindful of it and feel it. There is something to do with our emotions. When we cry out to God as Abba, Father, you know, when a child sees the father coming, returning home, the child will run to the father and hug the father. It's, it's that kind of intimacy and emotional feeling. This is the kind of intimacy that's available to each one of us. This morning when we say, Abba, Father, good, good Father, we sang. Do we have those emotions? We are able to connect with God with those emotions. Paul is saying we should have those feelings and emotions when we think about our God. So he's not only saying that we have security, we have authority, we have intimacy. He says, no, 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 no. We have more privileges, more privileges. So for today's meditation, let's read chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. This is God's word. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Glorious Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Spirit of God, I pray today you will minister to each one of us. Let this word produce 30, 60, and 100-fold harvest for your glory, for your honor. Encourage us. Strengthen us, O Lord, transform our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, Paul is saying it is not only security, authority, and intimacy. You have much more than that. You have much more than that. And he says in these two verses, the first thing he says is you have assurance. That's the reason he says that in 8.16, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. You know, when we cry out to God as Abba, Father, somehow the Holy Spirit comes alongside with our spirits and gives us assurance, truly we are God's children. That's the assurance we have. The Holy Spirit bears his witness with our spirits that we are God's children. You know, nothing is more important from the standpoint of experience. 
if you are talking about spiritual experience, there's nothing more important than this. The Holy Spirit coming alongside with our spirit and saying that we are God's children. I am a child of God. Or also from the standpoint of happiness and joy in Christian life, because the world cannot give us happiness and joy all the time. They may give from time to time and we all go through struggles and pain, but it is this assurance that we have that gives us happiness and joy in the midst of our struggles, trials and tribulations. And also it is this testimony of the spirit which gives us that the joy of enjoying our salvation. Salvation is something precious to all of us. And it is the Holy Spirit which enables us to enjoy the salvation. It touches our minds, it touches our hearts, it touches our body. So we are able to worship our God with our hearts, with our mind and with our body. Intellect, will and emotions all are involved when we worship our God because of what the Holy Spirit does for us. He testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And that's, that's what Paul says in Ephesians 1.13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believe, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us the assurance that we belong to God the Father and to the Lord Jesus Christ and our eternal destiny is secure. Many things are not secure in this world, but one thing is secure, our eternal destiny is secure. And that assurance comes from the Holy Spirit. Now, there is a lot of debate about the nature of this testimony, but it appears to be an inner witness in the heart. You know, when you feel in your heart, in a sense, yes, God really loves me. You don't need to have experience of others. Each experience is unique. God ministers to each one of us in a unique way. Somewhere along the way, this, we get this assurance, I am a child of God. And you know, sometimes people say, I know you are a child of God by the fruit of the spirit in your life. That may be only partly true. That's not completely true. It's true that we grow in the fruit of the spirit. There is something much more than that. When we have this testimony, when the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children, what happens in our inner being? You know, in our inner being, we are convinced of our sinfulness. You know, that's what Calvin used to say as utter depravity. We are convinced, we are convicted of our utter sinfulness. We understand our condition. We are in that slimy pit. And we also realize I just cannot do anything to rescue myself. That's what happens in our inner being. So because I'm unable to rescue myself because I'm unable to help myself, 
Now I need a savior. So I look for a savior and I'm convinced of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Yes, here is a savior. I cannot save myself. I know I am in an awful, pitiable condition. I'm, I'm a sinner. I'm a wretched sinner. I don't even have the courage to even to speak out. But when I look at the cross, I am convinced Jesus can rescue me. You know, I know if God has to accept me, I have to depend on the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, this experience when the Holy Spirit, when he comes and stands alongside by my spirit, I am convinced that the blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient to cleanse me from all sin. That is enough. The blood of Jesus is enough to cleanse me from all my sin. Since we are talking about experience, you know, it's important that we know the difference between a genuine and a counterfeit experience. We are in a spiritual warfare and sometimes we just ignore uh, that we think as the devil is sitting quiet. No, devil is not sitting quiet. He is quite active. He is quite patient and is quite active. That is his attribute. You know, so the devil is busy giving believers a counterfeit experience. That's the reason why I just want to touch about the difference between a genuine experience and a counterfeit experience. In the genuine experience, as I said, we have a sense of sin and a sense of failure. And we also have a sense of emptiness. You know, we know something is lacking within me. I need something more. I have everything this world can give, but deep within me, there is something that is missing. So because there is something missing within me, now I keep searching for it. And I also look for that holy living. That, that's what happens in a genuine experience. What happens in a counterfeit experience, which a devil is so busy presenting is the believers with counterfeit experience. You know, they will talk about some marvelous experience, light and all kinds of things about some marvelous experience, but they have never experienced the conviction of sin and repentance. They have much to say about visions or signs. They will talk about all that. But they will not talk about conviction of sin, helplessness, the need for a savior. No. In the, in the case of a genuine experience, it will always confirm the teaching of scripture. We should keep this in mind. It is the spirit who gives the word and it is the spirit who bears this testimony. So the spirit of God will never go against his word. They're always in agreement and they work together. 
and each points to the other. When you hear this experience, you know, when you hear people saying, I saw this and this, and then you sit and wonder, oh my goodness, there's nothing like that in the Bible. They talk about their experience and all that. What is in the Bible when the spirit of God comes and meets with us, what we have is a genuine conviction and repentance. You know, in the case of false experience, the consequence is generally pride. They'll go around boasting about themselves. So they'll constantly talk about the experience, but the genuine experience is a secret transaction. You don't have to prove that genuine experience with others. It is a secret transaction between your heavenly father and yourself, between the Lord Jesus Christ and yourself, the Holy Spirit and yourself. So don't start doubting your experience. It is something secret. It is between you and God. You don't need to receive an approval from others, including your pastor. You don't have to get that. You are a child of God. And that experience when the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children, that is also, a, you know, it's a true experience, a genuine experience. And it is a secret transaction between you and yourself. That is something precious. Now, when we have this genuine experience, one thing we know that whether we had a genuine experience or a counterfeit experience, if it is a genuine experience, our supreme desire will be to know the Lord Jesus Christ still more intimately, still more personally, still more powerfully. You don't have to compare your spiritual life with others. Each one has a journey and God works in each one's life. So you don't have to look at others and compare your spiritual life, but you realize now I have a desire that I want to live for my God. I want to give for my God. I want to serve my God. I want to give my time for God. You know, I want to know him intimately so that I can cry out to him above father. I want to know him personally as my God. That is, that's what happens in a genuine experience. So this is the assurance we have. The children of God have this assurance. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Keep this in mind that we have security, we have authority, and we have intimacy, and we also have assurance. Assurance. <clears throat> and Paul says, not only assurance, you also have an inheritance. In 817, he says, now, if you are children, then we are heirs. Have you ever wondered? You know, Paul just not only said, we are children of God, we can call out and cry out and say, Abba, Father. And why was not Paul content with that statement which he made? The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. He has just mentioned that. 
Why should he add this? Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. You know, Paul's main object or his main focus in this chapter is to show the type of assurance and certainty Christians should enjoy as children of God. That is, you know, you have a car, you have to use first gear, second gear, third gear, fourth gear, also the reverse gear. You have to use everything that is there. And that is Paul's idea when he gives the, when he presents this chapter eight. And that is the reason he goes on to add, now if you are children, then we are heirs. Now, where, as I had explained earlier, when Paul uses this figure of adoption, he, he seems to have the Roman law in mind rather than the Jewish law. Because uh, Paul was writing to the believers in Rome. Of course, there were Jewish believers in Rome, but since they've lived in Rome for generations, now they are very, very familiar with the Roman law rather than the Jewish law. And that's what Paul is making use of. Because according to the Jewish law, the eldest son normally received the double portion of his father's inheritance. Paul doesn't have that in mind when he says this. Whereas according to the Roman law, the, though the father had a right of giving one child more than others, normally all children received equal shares. And that's what Paul has in his mind. As children of God, we are heirs. Paul says all believers are children of God. We all are God's children. And because we all are God's children, we are also heirs. We all have shared in this inheritance. So Paul says there is no distinction made here. There's no distinction, no difference. That's why the more you get closer to Jesus Christ, you realize all the barriers keeps breaking down. Caste barrier, language barrier, regional barrier. Everything breaks down when you come to Jesus because we all are heirs. There's not, nothing known as special, super special and all that. We all are children. All believers, they have a share in God's inheritance. But at the same time, it does not follow that the exact inheritance is the same in each case. We all have an inheritance, but it will not be the same in each case. Uh, in Numbers 26, 54, it says to a larger group, give a larger inheritance, and to your smaller group, a smaller one, each is to receive its inheritance according to the number of those listed. So each received what is enough and what is due, but they did not receive equal. We should be very careful because the scripture doesn't teach that. What the scripture says, you know, there may be variation in the amount of the inheritance dependent upon our good deeds. Our good deeds are taken into account 
while God allots our inheritance. Whatever we do for God in the kingdom of God, it'll never go in vain. The little ministry you do in the community, it'll never go in vain. Pastor may not notice it. Others may not notice it. Remember, God is noticing it. And that's, that's the day you get your share of inheritance. Let's not be, uh, let's be very clear. We all have an inheritance, but it will not be the exact inheritance. God will give each one whatever is due to us. But what is more important to understand is if a poor man leaves an inheritance and if his children were to divide that, is going to be a tough job. If, the, if a billionaire were to leave his inheritance and if his two or three children were to divide that, it's not going to be a big issue. Now, we shared God's inheritance. We are talking about a creator God, a sustainer, the owner of the world. He owns everything. And we are talking about that kind of inheritance. But what is important to remember is God not only so is the source of our inheritance, but he himself inheritance. That's where when the spirit of God comes and testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And as I said, when you have the genuine encounter, what now you are crying out, what is your hunger and thirst? I want this God. Because I know who is my God. I want him more than the things of the world. Remember, of all the good things in the universe, the most precious is the creator of the universe himself. When you have this genuine experience, you run after the creator God. Not after things. You run after him, you live for him, you breathe for him because you know every breath it comes from him and you breathe for him. That's what happens when you have that genuine encounter and it's a privilege to have this God as your inheritance. It's a privilege. That's what happens in a genuine encounter. That's how we know our God is a good, good father. How do we know? Because of what the spirit has testified. He came alongside our spirit and said, we are God's children. Now I want only this God. I want him. He is more supreme, more desirable than anything that the world can show me. I'm not enticed by the pictures of this world. I desire after this God. I want him. That's the reason the psalmist could say in Psalm 73, 25, whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. Earth has nothing I desire besides you. Psalmist is saying, you're all I want in heaven. You're all I want, I want on earth. Because we know how great 
and how glorious is this inheritance. The greatest blessing God's children will have in heaven will be the eternal presence of their God. And that is the presence we desire right now in this world. We want the presence of God rather than the things of the world. When we know how sweet and glorious and comforting and encouraging and strengthening God's presence is, when we know who our God is, we desire him more and more and more. And that's what he says. He takes, you know, he calls Christians as now, if you are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. I don't have time to expound on this. You know, Paul says, that is a richness that's given to each one of us. What is in store for us is so grand and glorious. You know, each one will be satisfied that we have got what we need. We'll be satisfied when we have this God with us. And we have to experience that in this world itself. Not only we have security, authority, intimacy, assurance, inheritance. This is something we don't like to hear. And normally you don't get to hear, but that's part of our Christian life, suffering. People, you know, sometimes they don't preach the word rightly when they don't say that we, we have suffering in this world. You know, it's not nice to hear, but that is the fact. Just because I say, come to God, you will have no suffering. It does not mean you will not have suffering. What do you do when you have suffering? Then what you do? The Bible says you will have suffering. Paul says, after saying all this, he said, you will have uh, security, you will have authority, you will have intimacy, you will have assurance, you will have inheritance. And then Paul says, you will have suffering. He has said, in 8.17, he says, now if you are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. Paul says, if you really know that you are a child of God, he says, if you want to know whether you are a child of God, you know, that proof comes when you go through suffering on Lord's behalf. When we suffer with him, we also share in his glory. We will be glorified. It is not biblical preaching or teaching to say that you will not have suffering. Because the Bible clearly says, we know that we are children of God and the whole world is under the control of the evil one. When you are under the control of an evil ruler, can you expect that you will be free from suffering? If there is an evil regime, 
do you think that you will be spared from suffering, discrimination, injustice? Do you think so? No. Then why do you think in this world we will not have suffering? Especially as children of God, especially as God children, while the whole world, whole world, not part, whole world is under the control of the evil one. This gives us assurance. As we partake in the sufferings, we, it gives us the assurance we will also share in his glory. So no believer is exempt from the possibility of paying a price for his faith. It happens right for your children, right in the school, just because they happen to be Christians, just because you have inculcated the Christian values, they suffer. They suffer because of these values. Because you are taught your children the Christian values when they come to IT companies, they suffer. Others have certain privileges which your children don't have. And we need to know that when we share in these kinds of sufferings, we are sure of sharing in God's glory. We may be ridiculed. People will make fun of us. Hey, you don't know how to live. They may say you are a fool. You are good for nothing. We have to hear all the statements. You might even lose your promotion because of your values. But remember, this is part of our journey. This is part of our inheritance. We know what is kept for us because we are going to share in his glory. That is more precious than this one promotion and few you know, appreciation from people around us. So we can always take suffering as a divine proof that we truly belong to Jesus Christ. That's the reason Paul could say, I bear the marks of Christ on my body because he knows that he's going to share in God's glory. After all, God is sovereign. Why should he allow the sufferings? God allows sufferings to drive believers to dependence on him. You know, if you are so comfortable, we will not even call upon the name of God. The more problems we have, I don't want to say it's a blessing, but it is a blessing in a way that we will depend on God all the time. That's why Paul says, I cried out to God three times and he did not take that out from me because God wanted Paul to be dependent on him all the time. So when we go through the suffering, remember, God wants to be dependent on him. When everything goes fine, when we don't have struggles, when we don't have problems, we might say God is good and all that, Heart of heart, we will not depend on him. It is in the midst of our troubles and struggles, we learn to depend on God and we learn to experience God's goodness. We learn to experience God himself in our lives. That is the evidence of true salvation. When we talk about suffering, you should not only consider suffering as an, you know, the way the world um, consider suffering. Suffering involves discipline. Fathers always discipline their children. It's painful. 
parents don't want to discipline a child because it's painful. But for the good of the child, they allow some kind of a minor form of pain so that the child will be protected. The child will give up certain harmful behavior so that in the future, it will be a blessing. If you don't correct the child, those behaviors will destroy the child. So we parents, earthly parents, they resort to discipline and God also disciplines us. And that is for our good, for our good. We should not think we have become old enough now. God should not discipline us. God should discipline us till the last breath. Every time he disciplines us, he draws us closer to him. In fact, we should look forward and we should ask God, discipline me. Discipline me. Because only perfect people don't need discipline. When you understand your true condition and when you understand the holiness of God, you ask God, discipline me so that I become a little more like Jesus. That's what the Bible says in Hebrews 12, 9, 10. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. You know, a good father will lovingly discipline. He will not use his authority so that he can exercise control over his children or to show power. That's an evil father. A loving father will not use that authority to exercise control, to exercise his authority. That's what the culture teaches. But as children of God, we don't use that. So it is a painful privilege to put our children through discipline. And it is the same for our heavenly father who loves us unconditionally. It is not a pleasure for God, but it's a painful privilege. He knows something good will come out of this. And that's why he puts us through suffering. Christians will suffer. Mark my words, listen, true believers will suffer. It is not just in the pains of the world that the people face. When there is a famine, everybody suffers, whether there is a believer or a non-believer. That's not the kind of suffering we are talking about. What is common to everybody? We suffer because we are brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. There is a suffering that comes to us because we are brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ. Suffering for Christ always draws us closer to God. We don't look forward to suffering, but when suffering comes, we should not miss out that opportunity to get closer to God. When we suffer for Jesus Christ, it enables us to appreciate the sufferings my savior underwent just to save me. It is only when I undergo those sufferings for Jesus Christ, I'm able to appreciate 
the sufferings Jesus Christ underwent to save me. Jesus Christ faced rejection in this world. Am I greater than Jesus Christ? He faced suffering because he said, he exposed the sins of the people and he also said, repent, I've come to give you life, but people opposed it. They rejected him, they crucified him. Today is a Palm Sunday. It's good to remember what Jesus did for us. The privileges that we have in Jesus Christ. It's a privilege to suffer for our Lord Jesus Christ. So the Bible doesn't say that believers will not suffer. Believers will suffer. What's the blessing is Though we are only adopted into God's family, we are only adopted into God's family, God actually implants Jesus Christ's nature in us. That's the beauty of Christian life. That's what genuine experience does for us. He implants the nature of Jesus Christ in us. That's what we have to ask. Am I growing in the nature or in the likeness of my Lord Jesus Christ? Having great, great visions is of no great thing. What is more important is, am I reflecting my Lord Jesus Christ in my life, in the way I use my time? In the way I use my talents, in the way I use my treasure, am I glorifying my Lord Jesus Christ? He lived for his father. Am I living for my Lord Jesus Christ? That's the way we resemble our Lord Jesus Christ more and more. As we partake in his suffering, we become more and more like Jesus in our character and attitudes. That's why persecution is a blessing. Blessed are those who are persecuted because for they are God's children. The only focus in this world, it should be, we have to be like him. That should be our focus. God loves us so much. His love is something amazing. It is that love that draws us closer to him. Have you not heard human parents say, even after all he has done, he's still my son. Human parents, they don't want to disown their children. How much more our heavenly father loves us. And when we call above father, we have to appreciate and understand the love behind that, that unconditional love of God. There's nothing more glorious than enjoying God himself. Devil will keep us busy with showing good things of this world so that we don't run after the creator God. We will run after the goodies of the world. He knows how to keep Christians busy, but it is glorious to have Christ 
In heaven, we will only have God's presence and we should have a taste of that in this world itself. We should ask, oh God, I want you. I desire you more than anything. So Paul wants each one of us to know that as God's children, we have security, we have authority, we have intimacy, we have assurance, we have inheritance, and let us not forget, we will also have suffering. So I just want to, uh, we have almost come to the midway of chapter eight. So I just want to recap the multiple ministries of the Holy Spirit. It's important, we know. Otherwise, it's like a car we have and we drive only in the first gear. So it's good. We at least know the multiple ministries of the Holy Spirit. And it is also good for, it's better for us if we evaluate and see whether these ministries are available in our personal lives. So I just want to do a recap of all that we have done from verses one to 17. If you want to note it down, you can note it down and keep examining and evaluating your own life. He has freed us from the law of sin and death. He empowers us to fulfill the righteous requirement. If you want to live a godly life, we need the Holy Spirit. He alone can help us. We have our minds set on what the Spirit desires. If we are spirit-filled people, we will desire more what the Spirit desires. If you have the mind of the Spirit, if you have the mind of Christ, we will desire the things of God. The Spirit of God lives in us. The Spirit gives life to our spirits. Will one day give life to our mortal bodies. Death is not our end. Nothing can snatch us from the love of God. That includes death. And one day we'll have the resurrected body. His indwelling obliges us to live his way. The more we have the Holy Spirit, we will seek after the things of the Spirit. We'll be able to live for the Spirit. His power enables us to put to death the misdeeds of the body. Struggling with sin, we need more of the Holy Spirit so that he enables us to put to death the misdeeds of the body. He leads us as the children of God. We are God's children. He gives us that assurance. He writes us on the tablets of our heart. Somehow, in a way, we can understand this relationship. This is a unique relationship between you and God. 
the spirit brought about our adoption to sonship it is not a matter of right but it's a privilege we have been adopted into his family we are sons of god by him we cry abba father when we call god as abba father let us also be aware of the work of the holy spirit in our lives the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are god's children hunger for this experience more and more it's a unique experience don't say i want an experience like others god has a experience kept for each one of us so hunger for more and more of spiritual experience don't be satisfied where you are let us not be satisfied where we are because god has kept a glorious riches for us let's not try to say that enough i had a great experience no no god has something greater than that let's hunger for that the spirit himself is also the foretaste of our inheritance and glory the more and more we have god we say lord i want more of you because we understand what's kept in store for us so these are the multiple ministries of the holy spirit and that's what paul is telling to the believers this is what you have you have all the gears you need in your vehicle but are you using it are you aware are you crying out to god i need this and that is the focus of paul in chapter 8 so how do we apply if this is the kind of life that is there for us if this is these if these are the privileges we have then how do we apply this message i just want to make only one application do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery instead be filled with the spirit ephesians 5 18 like a drunkard he craves for liquor from the time he gets up till he goes to bed and even when he gets up in the night he will still like to drink like a drunkard craves for liquor cry out for the filling of the holy spirit say i want more of you that's why the bible says if you earthly parents if you know how to give good gifts to your children how much more your heavenly father will give the holy spirit to those who ask him god will give us but let's hunger like a drunkard oh lord i want to be filled with the spirit not to show it to others it is between you and god i want to be filled i want every moment of my life to be led by the spirit i want to walk by the spirit i want to follow the spirit when he convicts me when he corrects me i receive it i don't want to grieve the holy spirit i don't want to quench the holy spirit i god has a unique experience for each one of us and let us hunger for that do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery instead be filled with the spirit may god add blessings to this word over to pastor pray